get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, I'm very happy to report that the maestro, John Williams, is doing well and will return to Los Angeles shortly. This is by way of SoundtrackFest.com. And these soundtrack collectors, these, 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 these people are serious. So they're definitely following this very closely. Uh, Mike Mattesino, who's a record producer and has access to John Williams' inner circle, he confirmed the news, and uh, so that's that's great. That's great. So John Williams, who fell ill and had to bow out of a concert over in London with the London Symphony, and we were very surprised as we talked about this last week because one of the reasons that the episode seven and episode eight. Uh, Star Wars soundtracks were recorded with um, uh, orchestras other than the LSO that that had, of course, been on all the previous Star Wars uh, scoring sessions. Uh, the re- the reason being that the uh, John Williams couldn't and and wasn't supposed to, you know, he's he's up in years and wasn't supposed to, you know, do those big flights and all of that. So very surprised that he went out there and then he goes out there and. Uh, fell ill but he sent a a lovely note um to all of the concert goers there that were gathered uh and said that uh he says i cannot adequately express my disappointment having fallen ill upon my arrival in london and in having to miss our long-awaited reunion at the royal albert hall uh and so maestro dick brose was uh stepped on the podium and grabbed the baton and uh carried on with the uh, evening, but anyway, bottom line, John Williams heading back to L.A. So we're very thankful for that because he's got episode nine to score. Yeah, and we've got a show to do. What show? Rebel Force Radio. This week's show for November second, two thousand eighteen. We're inching ever so close to that year mark, where we have one full year before the release of the third installment of the sequel trilogy and the finale of the Skywalker saga. At least that's what we're told. And you are here in the right place. If you wish to hear great, compelling star Wars conversation, news, commentary, etc., etc. And here to help me with all of that and more is my good friend from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. 
And yours. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fan. Uh, did I miss the and yours? Yeah. Oh, hold on. Hold on. We can't let that happen. All right. Take two. Take two. And here to help me with that and so much more, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Wow. Just like we hadn't done it before, we're doing it again for the first time all over again. <laughs> yes. That's right. What? I don't know. Hey, 412 days until Star Wars Episode Eight. Did you ask? Did you just ask Siri? How did I you? Did, how did you? Well, did you go I, online? What did you do? I didn't ask Siri. I uh, I have uh, access to one of those little countdown clocks. Oh. And so oh. I have a little uh, file here that I can open up. And well, let's see if Siri look. knows. Here, hold on a second. Oh, I, I don't want to do this. Uh, hold on. Let me do this off mic real quick here. How many days until Star Wars Episode Nine comes out? I found Ford for you to choose from. What? Star Wars: The Clone Wars Season One. No, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. Uh, how She's could not she a fan. not know? But I use the uh, the day calculator from Siri all the time. Like, how many days until you know December nineteenth, two thousand nineteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hold on. Hey Siri. How many days until December 19th, 2019? It's 415 days until then. There you go. Okay, you were right. Well, I said 412 because we record this show earlier in the week. And <laughs> I, I did the math. Oh, you were way, way, way ahead of me there. Wow. Yeah. yeah All right. Well, yeah. sorry so, about that. Well, everyone knows now. I mean, but I think we were going to say it anyway because today mm-hmm. happens to be uh, October 30th. And it is the sixth year of the Disney ownership of Star Wars, the sixth anniversary of Bob Iger and his crew being in charge of the galaxy far, far away. So, has it been that long? Six yeah. years. Wow. And with the state of, you know, I mean, just by the way, I, I read things online, you know. I don't know, but I read things online. <laughs> and so I should say, uh, congratulations? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure Disney is certainly not uh, thinking they made a, a mistake purchasing Star Wars. But I think some of the fans <laughs> believe it may be a mistake that Disney purchased Star Wars. Listen, all I have to say is just first and foremost, there have been four Star Wars films released since that purchase went down. And that certainly would not have happened if George maintained ownership of the franchise. We may have had one or maybe two. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe none. Do you but think he would have kept up the, the, the traditional three-year gap pacing? Uh, had he stayed involved that's or a in charge? Question. That is a great question. And, of course, Kathleen Kennedy was already under his wing at that point mm-hmm. as president of Lucasfilm. So uh, she may have actually been the one to determine the two-year separation between films as opposed to three. Now, George, of course, needed the three years because he carried so much on his shoulders from a production standpoint and a directorial standpoint and a screenwriter standpoint and basically, the guy who signed off on everything. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was the head of many departments. 
And that's the way he wanted to do it. You know, the buck stops here with George Lucas. Not so much the case with the way, the modern way Star Wars films are being made now, where you have several cooks in the kitchen. And so the two-year thing seems to be appropriate, I think. Um, Well, Bob Iger did say recently that he more or less blames himself in terms of the aggressive schedule that was set forth. So, uh, you know, as far as the movies release, the pacing and the the cadence of the films as they come out, uh, and and not Kathleen Kennedy. So, you know, um, Kathleen Kennedy may have been very comfortable in that every three years. But you got to also keep in mind, uh, you know, George's age, too. Um, But if he was, you know, still just a consultant and... Perhaps, you know, an executive producer on the films, uh, maybe that wouldn't have mattered. I, who knows what could have been, should have been, might have been. But it is fun. And, Jim, I know you've prepped some uh, uh, some sound bites for us. It is fun to go back and listen to some of the clips from that uh, fateful day, that announcement, when Bob Iger and George Lucas swapped signatures and made the deal official. Right. So I went down into the sound lab and opened up the folder from that week and uh, pulled out a few audio nuggets of history here. And I have not heard these clips. We kind of made a decision to uh, play them just prior to the show beginning. So I'm just curious to to listen to these clips. Uh, The first one is going to be Bob Iger. This is from a teleconference he did for the media and for stockholders in the days following the Lucasfilm acquisition. All right. This is by the uh, days. I mean, I think I think this may have happened. It could have happened uh, anywhere uh, in the period from October 31st through November 2nd, 2012. So really fresh, you know. I mean, they had just signed those papers on the 30th. And if you take a look at Sheldon's RFR documentary, When the Galaxy Listens, he has a clip of George signing the paper, you know, making it a fish. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there right next to Bob Iger, and they're sitting at a desk, and the paperwork is right in front of George. And he signs it, and when he passes it off, Sheldon slowed down the clip in slow motion. Not, and, and he did it not to highlight this, but what I'm going to explain to you. But you can catch it clearly. When he passes off that p- piece of paper to Iger, he looks off in the opposite direction, almost as if saying, I can't believe this is happening. You can see his face loses a lot of color, and he looks like he's about ready to hurl. He's... He, He's going to toss cookies right there in front of the cameras because he couldn't believe it was happening. And I think he still, to this day, looks back and goes, I still can't believe that happened. Yeah. I, I, he looks like the bride that's ready to bolt at the end of the aisle. Yeah. You know, like if he could have, he would have. Run away, yeah. run away, bride. Run away, George. Oh, that would have been spectacular. Can you imagine if he just grabbed the paper and just, uh-huh. just ran like hell? Right. Pushes over a cameraman <laughs> on the way out. I can't do it. I can't do it. All right. Well, here's me like George Costanza rushing out of that party when he thought the building was on fire. And he literally pushes down children and an old lady in a walker. <laughs> To get to the door. That would be George. 
if he acted on his impulses that day. But no, he kept it together. He did. And he passed off Star Wars to the uh, white slavers. I mean, to the corporate giant Disney. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, here is Bob Iger talking about that deal with George Lucas. Uh, I don't want to put words in George's mouth, but uh, George said earlier today in doing a few interviews that about four or five years ago, he uh, not only started contemplating uh, a form of retirement from Lucasfilm, but he started to put in motion of that process. He ultimately identified Kathy Kennedy to be vice chairman of the company and ultimately to run the company once he retired. Uh, he and I started talking about this about a year and a half ago, but only decided pretty recently that this is something that we both wanted to do. And once we reached that conclusion, we negotiated to uh, uh, obviously close the deal uh, or, or sign the deal. Um, I, he's going to serve as a consultant, as he said today, and He's done some consulting work already on the, uh, uh, the basic development that's already happened uh, for the first uh, part of the, or the first trilogy that we've released starting in 2015. But it's his, uh, it's his intent to retire. For the first trilogy? Yeah. The first trilogy? Right. Yeah. I think they had plans. <clears throat> this is one of those things where is it something that I just made up in my mind, but... Uh, did they ever talk about 10 through 12 in the no. early days? They no. didn't, did they? Never. Yeah, but but the first of, I thought it was the first of several planned trilogies, but they didn't get I had wishful thinking. I had wishful thinking for a 12-part Skywalker saga, and it could still happen, let's mm-hmm. face it. Maybe give the main cast a few years, seeing that they all get out of episode nine alive. Right. Right, which I, you know, I, I think they, they might. I mean, I, you know, I, you'd think that, that Ray will, but you know, Poe is definitely a likely candidate to go down as a hero, and I don't think there's any guarantees that Finn will make it all the way through to the end. Oh no, 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 no! I, I disagree there. I disagree there. If he gets killed in Episode Nine, that makes the moment with him and Rose, and. Th- you know, her, her saving his life, that just completely, I think, um, diminishes that. Ah, however, and, what and if he dies? It. What if he dies saving her life? Well, OK, that's different. That's different. That would give it some weight and tie it back together. Put a nice little bow on it. Right. Um, OK. Under those circumstances, judges. Yes. Yes. We find Thank that you. legitimate. Uh <laughs> All right, here's more Bob Iger. This is him talking about the sequel trilogy. We're going to concentrate on the Star Wars uh, franchise. Uh, what we're buying is, um, along with the, the, the overall company, is a, a pretty extensive and detailed treatment for what would be the next uh, three movies, the trilogy. Uh, we're going to announce the fir- we're going to release the first of those three in 2015, and then the expectation is that we'll release numbers two and three, which will be numbers eight and nine of the overall franchise, probably on a cadence of every other year, and then go from there. But we've got a, we've got a, a, a lengthy treatment that comes with this that we feel really good about, mm. and um, the, the uh, film is in what I'll call early stage development right now. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So a lengthy treatment. Yeah. This that- wasn't just some scribble down pieces of paper in his notebook. I don't know. It might have been on that yellow legal pad. Well, originally, before yeah. it got passed off to his uh, 
His typist? Yeah, his typist or his, uh, whoever. Um, <clears throat> you just type for me. That's all you do. <laughs> I'm rich enough to afford it. But I so produce it's, it's tea. Bob Iger in that clip from 2012 makes a big point of saying that part of the purchase deal along with the company is the treatment for the next trilogy. Yeah. Lengthy treatment for the next trilogy. That's probably where the $0.5 billion was. <laughs> At first, the offer was $4 billion. But George said, well, I got the treatment. All right. uh, wait a minute. Wasn't it 0. 0.4? Four point. It was, it's been reported as 4.5 or 4.6. Mm, okay. All right. Billion dollars. Wow. That's with wow. a B. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So... <clears throat> All right. But I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. All right. So what do we know? It all so, went to George anyway. So, and he is according to Samuel L. Jackson, when he was first given the news that George had sold Disney to Lucasfilm, Sam said he should have asked for more. What do you think of George Lucas getting four billion for uh, Lucasfilm? He got cheated. That he got cheated. You think he deserved more? Of course. That's a lot of money. Is it? That's billion with a B. It's not a lot of money to some people. <laughs> what would you do with that money? I don't know. I find something. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> See, Sam. Sam should have been George's agent. <laughs> that would have been a great. That could have been a movie in itself. Oh, the negotiator. Oh. The negotiator, right? So he's he's done that before. This time, he's going up against the toughest enemies ever. No, not terrorists. We're talking Hollywood executives. You will give George Lucas a good deal. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson in The Hollywood Negotiator. Oh, my God. Well, it, th- this is so, it, you know, this, this illustrates a lot of things. One, it illustrates the fact that Bob Iger from the very beginning, Jim, what you were saying just a few moments ago about the, 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 the pacing, the timing that was set. Actually, we might have been talking about this off off mic, but we were talking about that aggressive schedule that was set. And there you go. I mean, almost on day one, Bob Iger's pointing out, okay, yeah, it's going to be every other year. That's yeah, the cadence did, of the release. He did film. specifically yeah. say cadence of every other year. Yeah, right. So where do these standalone films suddenly get slotted in with Rogue One and Solo? Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know. Do we have a clip on that? Probably not, but we do have another clip. Let's see if this uh, sheds any light on that. This is uh, Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas here. I always said I wasn't going to do any more. That's true, because I'm not going to do any more. But that doesn't mean I'm unwilling to turn it over to Kathy to do more. Mm-hmm. I have story treatments of 7, 8, and 9, and a bunch of other movies, and, and obviously we have hundreds of books and comics and everything you could possibly imagine. So, you know... I sort of moved that treasure trove of stories and various things to Kathy and you know, have complete confidence that she's going to take them and make great movies. We are absolutely going to make Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. and we are in the midst of the really fun part of the process, which is we're sitting down with a couple of writers, and we're starting to discuss ideas, and we're starting to talk about what those stories might be. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be entirely on my own because... It's important that he at least continue to be the little guardian angel on my shoulder, helping they're, they're me do this. They're finishing the hologram now. Don't worry. <laughs> Let's keep it canon, Kath. <laughs> Still G-level. 
When I'm in the interview, it's G level. Yeah. Hologram. Hologram. Ha. <laughs> well, I mean, from Bob Iger's lips to Kathleen Kennedy's, uh, George, whether he's a hologram or a guardian angel or a consultant uh, or a writer of a extensive treatment, uh, clearly the last six years uh, we have seen a, a, a steep de-evolution of George's role to virtually nothing. Now, he is he does show up on set. We saw him on set of Rogue One. We saw him on set of, uh, just recently, John Favreau's The Mandalorian. I think we also saw him on the set of Solo. That's right. So he really likes those standalones. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he likes those standalone directors. I don't know. But uh, I don't believe we saw him on set of Episode 7 or Episode 8. Well, you know why? Because George, when he passed off the company, he still thought he was going to have an active role in completing the, the Skywalker saga. So I think the whole idea of these guys running off with episode seven and eight without his involvement, however direct or indirect it might be, I think, uh, I think he's stung by that. And, and by, by feeling that way, he doesn't want to go to the set and support these films. You know, I mean, I think yeah. he does. I think he does the diplomatic thing. And uh, but the standalones seem fair game for him because I think that's what he envisioned uh, having other filmmakers play in his sandbox do yeah, right. But the Skywalker saga, those epis, those Roman numerals meant a lot to him. Yeah, and that's that was his baby, and so I think he is still having a hard time with that. I mean, it would be hard for anybody. I mean, the, when you're when you're dealing with something that that's that is that personal to you, that's that, you know, this world that only existed in your mind and then gets externalized and then put in the hands of others, especially when you when you thought and, and we don't know. I mean, I have I have no inside information. I don't know. The only thing that I can say is it did seem very obvious. And I, I point to this a lot that I go back to that live stream of the Episode 7 premiere that I watched online, and there definitely seemed to be a lot of cheerleading going on at Lucasfilm, and a, a lot of Lucasfilm employees talking about how great Lucasfilm is, and then you couple that with some of the rumors that the Lucasfilm folks and the bad robot folks, there might have been a little bit of you know, some territorial disputes and whatnot going on. And I think that there were a lot of Lucas loyalists there, still are. Um, You know, you would have this at any company. This is not about picking on Lucasfilm or Disney or anybody. Anytime there's an acquisition, anytime there's a merger. My neighbor, my neighbor was working at a bank, had worked at a bank for 35 years. And then all of a sudden, another bank bought them out. And you have the same kind of machinations and the same kind of egos and the same kind... Uh, so this is not about picking on anybody, but it's the, the fact of the matter is that there was certainly uh, some growing pains. I mean, you just watch the Brady Bunch, you know, when when the Brady when when Carol and Mike got together, those kids didn't get along at first. They were spending too much time in the bathroom. I think they had to put a payphone in the house at one point, didn't they? Yeah, but you know who was the person to 
build the bridges and mend the fences. It was Alice the housekeeper. Star Wars needs an Alice the housekeeper. Stat! <laughs> Alice was the glue, wasn't she? She kept it all together. Where's Alice? We need Alice. Go ask Alice. Uh, <laughs> George Lucas quoting the Jefferson Airplane. Um <laughs> I sent you one additional Bob Iger clip. You did not. I just did. Oh, you just did? Yes, I did, because I can multitask. Got a lot of plates spinning here. That's amazing. I'm blown away by this. A lot of plates spinning here, Swank. So this one was from the same teleconference in 2012, immediately Mm -hmm. following Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm. And this file is entitled... Bob Iger, the future of Star Wars. So I think this is pretty interesting. Let's Star go Wars back to 2020. <laughs> Hold on, Bob. All right. Bob's a little excited here. Bob! I know. <laughs> you wait. You get your chance. Um, I, I just think it's interesting to go back and listen because let's hear what, what Iger's game plan was for the Star Wars franchise. Let's hear it right from the horse's mouth going back to 2012. And then we could take note of things that might have changed over the last six years. Star Wars in particular is a strong global brand and one of the greatest family entertainment franchises of all time, with hundreds of millions of fans around the globe. Its universe of more than 17,000 characters inhabiting several thousand planets. Hold on, do you think Pablo had to count all those to get to 17,000? Whose job was that? Was that that Pablo's? uh, Leland Chi. Oh, he had to count 17,000. I need to know how many characters... He has a Star Wars calculator. He sits there. Oh, and right. I thought that was him up. Who, so if you're if you're guessing, seventeen thousand. That's the answer. All right. I'm sorry, Bob. Continue. Spending only twenty thousand years offers infinite inspiration and opportunities, and we're already moving forward with plans to continue the epic Star Wars saga. The last Star Wars movie release was 2005's Revenge of the Sith, and we believe there's substantial pent up demand. In 2015, we're planning to release Star Wars Episode 7, the first feature film under the Disney Lucas brand. That will be followed by Episodes 8 and 9, and our long-term plan is to release a new Star Wars feature film every two to three years. We're very happy that George Lucas will be creative consultant on our new Star Wars films, and that Kathleen Kennedy, the current co-chair of Lucasfilm, will, will executive produce the films. George handpicked Kathy earlier this year to lead Lucasfilm into the future, and she'll join Disney as president of Lucasfilm, reporting into Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn, and integrating and building the Star Wars franchise across our company. Aha! So again, he says the plan is to release a new feature film every two to three years. Mm -hmm. When did the one film a year start happening? Uh, Obviously, the Rogue One pitch was pretty good. And uh, and so, and of course, Lords Kazan was developing a solo film, and that was before the sale, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of things at Kathleen's disposal. But who made the call then to suddenly amp it up and do a film a year? When Iger is saying right out of the gate, clearly the plan was to be to nurture the sequel trilogy, one film every two to three years. Yeah. What happened? What changed all that? Why the uh, why the need for uh, pushing Star Wars to the well, point of 
And they obviously made this calculation. It's not as though they waited until they saw the box office returns of Episode 7 to say, okay, well, there's obviously enough fertility in the market that we this can withstand a film every year. Uh, Rogue One was, uh, you know, underway at the same time as Episode 7. So, you know, it was a pretty bold move. And But then, you know, we can't discount the fact that there were disruptions in the production that forced certain films to sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the release dates to get shifted. We saw the first shift was with episode seven. It went from a May 2015 to a December 2015 release. Uh, Rogue One, I believe, was always going to be in December. Um, so if you look at that... You, you know, there was an, going to be a, originally an 18-month gap, so a year and a half between Episode 7 and Rogue One. That was shortened down to a year. But then by that point, they had already had, you know, Episode 8 scheduled for 2017. And actually, it was now was 8? I can't remember if 8 was moved. No, eight was 8 was on target the whole time. With a, they may have they may have changed eight as a result of the fact of having moved seven, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the original game plan was to stick to uh, a release schedule somewhere close to that Memorial Day yeah. weekend, and have it be the big Star Wars launch, you know, to honor the history of Star Wars. That's how it had always been. Yeah, a May release date, and so that was the plan until J.J. Abrams asked. For extra time with The Force Awakens, he needed it because they blew out Michael Arndt and George Lucas. Yep. They kicked those guys to the curb and had to start at square one. So they needed the extra time. And so then that necessitated moving episode eight from May 2017 to December 2017. So then you've got. Rogue One that's thrown in there, so you got a year between Episode Seven and Episode and 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 Rogue One. And I think th- the release for Rogue One was definitely in response to the delays that the Force Awakens had, both via the uh, pushback in release and then the Harrison Ford injury on set. I don't know uh, about that. I think the episode. I think the Rogue One release date was December from the beginning. It was and announced at Star Wars Celebration in 2015. So this is just about, what is that, eight months before Episode Seven was released. So we didn't even know about it, did we? No, but I don't, even, I don't think that they even, at, at Celebration, they had that, that's, what did they call that, like a motion poster they yeah, I think it. maybe that's all they had. It but I don't think they, they had a date. They didn't have a date, no. They were going to announce the Boba Fett yeah. at Celebration 2015. That's right. We've but got that news about that. Yeah, we've got news, more news about that coming up. But uh, no, I think that the original plan, Jim, was an 18-month gap between Episode 7 and Rogue One. But then you had it, yeah, that shortened to a year. And then by that point, you were already a year away from... Uh, episode eight, and then Solo got moved. Right, Solo was supposed to be a May. Was supposed to bring it back to May. Right, and it did. 
<laughs> that's right. No, it's right. Yeah. Solo came out in May, and then um, that's nine, when I was think nine. I'm, nine was supposed to follow. Was supposed to follow Solo in getting back on track with the May release. But then JJ asked for more time again. Right. Because he came on board somewhat late because of Colin Trevorrow's release. Oh. Yeah. I really hope someone writes a book about this someday. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it'll too. be you and me, because, I mean, we've been following all this stuff from day one. Um, but no, we're not. Jason and I are I not going to sit down and write a book. Don't start. It's a tell all. Or whatever. Yeah. 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 Oh, hey, you know what? You just reminded me of something. You said tweeting. And we should have put this at the top of the show, but there's no better time than now to mention it. Real quick, uh, not long ago, we announced that Rebel Force Radio was was leaving Twitter. It it was something that uh, we decided just didn't fit what we do here. It's not the type of communication that we want to have with uh, our listeners and with the Star Wars community in general. Uh, for lots of reasons, you can go back to the some of the old shows and listen to those reasons. But I do want to reiterate that Rebel Force Radio does not have a an official presence on Twitter. And I mean, we don't have any presence on Twitter as far as Rebel Force Radio goes. So um, if you're tweeting us and if you get tweets back from any entity that claims to be Rebel Force Radio, it's not Rebel Force Radio. We are not Rebel Force Radio Zero. We are not Rebel Force Radio. We are not Rebel Force Radio One. We are not any of those things. So uh, if we're you wanna, not even at Rebel Force Radio. Yeah, right. We're not at so. any. Yeah, none of those. So Twitter is not a place it, to, to communicate with us. Show at RebelForceRadio.com. That's the email address. We've got the voicemail line that we provide at the end of the show. Uh, 708-320-1737. And uh, we are on Facebook as well. So you just search for Rebel Force Radio. You'll find us and you can talk to us there. Uh, but we are not on Twitter. So please uh, don't uh, you know go around and, and looking for us and expecting a response back because you never know what you're going to find. And if you do stumble across one of those imposters, uh, anyone using the Rebel Force Radio name or logo on Twitter, go ahead and report them. Because sometimes Twitter just responds to a lot of noise about something. Support on Twitter uh, can be uh, sometimes kind of like raising your hand in a classroom filled with a thousand students you know mm -hmm. so sometimes we need to get noticed so if you do notice anyone impersonating us go ahead and report them to twitter we greatly appreciate it also uh shout out to uh, a friend of ours here um uh, david sparks and, and his pal katie floyd they have a wonderful podcast called mac power users uh i'm a mac head and uh, of course use all uh, apple products almost exclusively and if you are a fan of uh, Apple products and, uh, you know, iOS devices, Mac OS devices. There really is truly no better podcast out there for how to make these electronics, these very sophisticated uh, pieces of machinery work for you. you. You can find a lot of podcasts about, you know, the latest Apple news and rumors and gossip, but only Mac power users, users really, really shows you how to get the most out of that gear. 
And uh, David Sparks is a good friend of ours, and he was kind enough to give us a big plug on uh, one of the most recent episodes of Mac Power Users, talking about Rebel Force Radio as being one of his favorite non-tech podcasts. Well, I'm happy to say that Mac Power Users is one of our all-time favorite non-Star Wars podcasts. So big thanks to uh, David Sparks, our pal, and uh, his pal, Katie Floyd, for that uh, uh, nice plug on Mac Power Users. Mm-hmm. And we are a little tech, but thank you anyway, David. Yeah. Uh, much appreciated. <laughs> we do appreciate it. All right. Let's go to the uh, voicemail bag. We got Eric from Phoenix checking in. If I got to the right thing here. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jimmy. This is Eric from Phoenix. And you, you, Jimmy, you were just talking about Halloween costume, your Darth Vader Halloween costume. And it brought me back to fall of 1978. And I had a Darth Vader costume, too, except for. Um, mine was not as cool as yours. I had a poncho. It was the yellow poncho. And I just Googled it because I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't remembering incorrectly. Well, sure enough, there was a Star Wars Darth Vader poncho. It was yellow. had a hood. And then my mom must have bought a separate Darth Vader mask. And it must have been cheaper to get those two things than the actual Darth Vader costume. <laughs> Never realized this, yeah. but I'm just guessing that's what happened. So that was my Halloween costume for at least two Halloweens, maybe three. And back in the day, we didn't have lightsabers, so I had the Han Solo blaster, sorry, Han Solo blaster. And remember that thing would make that really annoying screeching noise, which was cool in the 70s. I carried that under my poncho, and I would play that every now and then when I was walking around and have some type of cool Star Wars-ish noise. Anyway, Star Wars poncho, yellow Star Wars poncho, Awesome costume. Not really, but I loved it. Anyway, keep up the great work, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Yo, oh, wear, that's y- a classic. Yo, wear the yellow raincoat and like it. Your um, father works hard for the money. I get to hear mom. <laughs> I mean, not even the not even the uh, the, the, the costume, right? Uh, you know, the ones we were talking about last week with the rubber band and the plastic mask. And- oh, no, 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 no. I remember the Ben Cooper Darth Vader fun poncho. That's how they marketed it. Fun poncho. What? And it came with it. Yeah, it came with a mask that was kind oh, of come like. On. Yeah, but the mask was like. Like uh, Robin from Batman, or you know, um, kind of like that. Just an eye mask. Yeah, like the black mask, <laughs> like a mask bandit kind of thing. Yes, yes. And that's your Darth Vader costume. It was supposed to be sort of stylized <laughs> to look like Vader's eyes, but it was you know that sort of concept, like Robin. And it was a yellow poncho with a big picture of Darth Vader in the front of it. And it was, yeah, all yellow, and it had the hood. So you pull the hood up, and you got the the um, the mask, the eye mask. And then, um, and then our friend there, he'd walk around with the dart with the Han Solo blaster under the poncho. So he'd walk by, you know, you'd be like, "Wow, what's that weird Darth Vader poncho?" And you'd hear this. <laughs> what's he? T- what is that? You know, it's not canon. Of course, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, go ahead and look it up. You probably find it on Google. The uh, Darth Vader wow. poncho from Ben Cooper, uh, the fun poncho. I always remember it said "fun poncho" on the front. Well, it was fun about it. You're well, not it was Halloween. Uh, it was uh, Halloween. Uh, yeah, and you're you know you it was a drier option than the regular 
Ben Cooper costume because the Ben Cooper that Ben Cooper costume left your whole head exposed. And like I said, in the seventies we all had big shaggy moppy hair. So you'd just see this big hairstyle coming at you with Darth Vader's face. You know, Darth Vader's mask is the face. So, wow. and those were yellow also for authenticity. Wow. Well, I'm sorry about that, Eric, uh, but thank you very much for sharing that with us. Uh, but you know what? Those things turn out to be great memories. I had the Han Solo blaster. I remember running around with that. It was one of the few items because I, I was uh, a little too young to uh, partake in much of the Empire Strikes Back uh, merchandise. Mm-hmm. So by the time I came around and was uh, getting and remembering, you know, getting toys, uh, it was all Return of the Jedi packaging but one piece of uh, empire merch that i did have was that han solo blaster but when i played with it i played with it like it was luke's blaster i i I was you know i wanted to be luke okay well luke did use a dl-44 in both empire and jedi he's clearly seen oh wait a minute when does he use it in jedi in jedi when he confronts jabba and uh, no, the, no, no, that's not that's the DL forty four. No, he, he he force pulls uh, one of Jabba's minions' guns and and or blasters, and there was a fairly fairly accurate um, representation of it that came with the original vintage Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight action uh, figure. You know what? I'm looking at this thing. That is not the DL-44. No, I, I do stand corrected. Why do I, why have I always thought? And not only did I think it was a DL-44, I thought it was a DL-44 with a silver nozzle. I was even that detailed about oh, wow. it in my own head. Yeah, But he did carry but, one in Empire, right? He did have one in Empire. Yeah. Bespin fatigues Luke. Yes. Yes. Who's your tailor? I love your outfit. <laughs> Uh, where's that reference from? Yeah, the, the Muppet Show the episode with uh, Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker. Very good. Yeah. Can you gargle Gershwin? <laughs> you know, was there anybody that was a, a a better host for something like the Muppet Show than Mark Hamill? You know, I mean, somebody who just appreciates the vaudeville and the classic uh Entertainers of you know back in the day, he was just yeah. awesome. That's still someone the, who's, the best episode of the Muppet Show. Uh, I agree, and for someone who is not afraid to be such a big cheese ball from time to time, like Mark, yeah. uh, he was. You know, I mean, that's his heaven right there. So, I think he felt right at home. Mark sure. is awesome too. Yeah. And listen, from one cheese ball to another, I, I have nothing but love and appreciation for Mark Hamill. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right. Uh, somehow this has uh, ended up as news. Uh, the internet is abuzz with uh, mourning, as uh, many, many fans are very sad to hear that it's uh, official. The Boba Fett standalone film is now not in active development, which begs the question, Jim, Mm -hmm. when there was the announcement of sort of a uh, I don't want to say a reboot, but there was the there was the announcement. uh, Bob Iger came out and uh, sort of 
publicly scolded himself and sort of fell on the sword saying that perhaps the release schedule was too aggressive and, you know, the buck stops with him, blah, 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 and that they were focused on episode nine. Uh, The uh, television series, the live action TV series. Uh, What else was on that list that Bob Iger mentioned? There were there were there were several projects um, I'm trying to remember if he mentioned the oh oh the Game of Thrones guys yeah Game of, Game Thrones, of Thrones guys, guys. and uh, yeah or, but no, not no Ryan, mention no Ryan no Johnson of, right no mention of Ryan Johnson yeah. and Ryan Johnson is uh, currently directing another film right now as a matter of fact he's uh, he's in active shooting mode right now as we speak so uh, so you know it's really interesting if you kind of look at any sort of schedule. For Star Wars releases, you see that we are still 400-something days away from Episode Nine, 412, if you're listening to this on Friday. If you're Jason listening right now, it's 415. <laughs> Just ask his Siri. Uh, but, uh, but, in, but in all seriousness, um, and I like how you have to say off mic, you know. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. you know, because everyone's... Series then react. That's right. funny. Uh, and for our show on Patreon, our exclusive show, RFR Rush Hour, I start each and every episode by going, Hey, Siri. Oh, I just did it there. Sorry. Oh, yeah. You know what? I just lit up everyone's phones. So, uh, oh, I should have asked for something, I guess. It's as if a thousand voices cried out in terror. But uh, back to what I was saying, though, yes. um, about uh, these film uh, release, this film release schedule. If there is indeed a slowdown for Star Wars, um, and Bob Iger thinks that the release schedule has been maybe a little bit too rapid, and as a fan, I feel like it has been. Jason, you and me were having that discussion right before we started the show, and you said, have you seen The Last Jedi recently? I said, not since March. Jason said, have you been watching Solo a lot? And I said, well, I've seen it a few times, but not necessarily. And I wonder why that is, you know? And I think it's because there's just been too much thrown up at the wall at once as far as cinematic stuff goes. And number two, it's, you know... That may be a commentary on the actual content itself, but like I said, this is a Star Wars show, so we're going to keep talking about Star Wars. Whatever they throw at us, we'll talk about the Star Wars that is. And uh, so what's happening right now is we're looking at a release schedule where you have Episode Nine coming out in December 2019, and if we're looking at a slowdown and we're listening to Bob Iger's original template for how he envisioned Star Wars to be released under the Disney umbrella when he ve- first purchased that that franchise for $4.5 billion, Bob said a release schedule, a feature film release schedule of every two to three years. But it So takes, think about it. Think about yeah, it. What yeah. do we have coming up after Episode Nine? What... What are the best bets for what's coming up after episode nine? Well, what did Bob say? Benioff and Weiss series, right? Will right. it be a trilogy? Will it be a series of films? Will they just will they just take control of Star Wars for the next twenty years cinematically? Benioff and Weiss and be responsible for a new Star Wars film every two to three years? Because I'll tell you right now, after that solo box office, Disney does not want to go back to putting out more than one film a year. And even one film a year, I think, is 
listening again, listening to Bob Iger in 2012, his original game plan was once every two to three years. All right. Well, going back to that, the Boba Fett film was not one of the movies that was discussed as still being uh, part of their plans back when Bob Iger had mentioned sort of this uh, uh, restart after Last Jedi and, and, and Solo. So the fact that it's official, I guess, you know, what, what's news here is that they got Kathleen Kennedy on record saying that the, the, that the, uh, the, the movie was, was not going to happen. Uh, in fact, let me see if I can find the exact quote. Ah, okay. So this was the Critics' Choice Association journalist Eric Weber. He wrote on Twitter. He said, "Kathleen Kennedy just confirmed to me Boba Fett movie is one hundred percent dead. One hundred percent focusing on the Mandalorian." All right. So that's what makes this news. Now, if you've been following this stuff. And you know that Bob Iger didn't specifically call out the Boba Fett film, then likely you assume that it was uh, not in active development. But there have been some details that uh, were leaked as to what that film might have been. Now, this is the movie that was being developed for Josh Trank. Uh, and then uh, after Josh Trank... It was uh, what was the what was the guy that was uh, James? Oh, James Mangold, yeah, Mangold. Logan, Logan director, exactly. And but here's what we know: uh, according to sources, the film would have focused on, of course, Boba Fett and the menagerie of bounty hunters who appeared alongside him on the deck of a star destroyer in The Empire Strikes Back. Right. So. There you go. This was not a, necessarily a Boba Fett origin story. This might have been, Jim, something that sat in between yeah. the saga films. This could have been sort of what happened after maybe, say, The Empire Strikes Back, where well, yeah. we, we know that, you know, Boba Fett was on the run with Hans with his bounty. Han I Solo think Smart and Money would, would say that this is something that happened prior to A New Hope. And it's a situation where you have Boba Fett. Maybe, maybe it is an origin story of a sort. It's Boba Fett's introduction as a professional bounty hunter among the ranks of some of the guys we've seen before, like Dengar, Bosk, IG-88, Zuckus, and Forlom, and others. You could throw a Greedo in there. You could throw... Any minion from Jabba's court in there, Heck, or or a throw Singh. Jabba, throw well, Jabba. No, in there. You can't throw Aura Singh. We know uh, we we found out what happened to her, didn't we? We did. Yeah, sorry, we did. Uh, that this is true. Good call. Yeah. But uh, so you know, just any sort of bounty hunter you've ever thought of, or anyone you could even think of who could be a bounty hunter, they could potentially have been part of this movie. But I think the whole thing, the point of it, would have been to tell the story from Boba Fett's perspective. But he would be mixing it up with a lot of familiar faces. I think, you know, old school fans would have loved it. Original trilogy heads would have freaked out over it. It would have been fantastic. But they just couldn't keep it together. That sounds like the type of Star Wars film I want to see. Like, a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, um, hopefully, you know, the, the project, uh, according to... 
Entertainment Weekly, it may or may not uh, necessarily be dead forever, but right now, 100% focus on The Mandalorian. That statement says a lot to me, too. 100% focus on The Mandalorian. Well, obviously, we have Episode 9 locked and loaded. J.J.'s uh, in the middle or in the latter third of shooting, and uh, things are probably heating up there with the post-production starting to uh, kick in a little bit. A lot of things going on at ILM and uh, editing actually happening. So uh, I think Kathleen is uh, safe to let that ship sail. And so she's thinking about the future. She's thinking about her next three years at Lucasfilm, and she's focusing on Ryan Johnson trilogy. No. Hmm. Benioff Weiss series of films. No. 100% focus on The Mandalorian, which is obviously going to launch next fall. So that is the next big thing on the horizon. And uh, that indicates to me there's absolutely nothing going on as far as both the Benioff Weiss thing, because those guys are locked down with Game of Thrones until 2019 anyway, when that series finally wraps up. So those guys are completely, you know, completely submerged in all things GOT. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson's off shooting another film. Uh, I think he's working with Daniel Craig. Actually. I believe he is. I believe he is. And uh, and so so what does that tell you? And Kathleen Kennedy's 100% focus on The Mandalorian. Well, I think really nothing is set in stone beyond 2019. I don't think that stuff's even going to really start being, you know, start coming under under heavy consideration until the early part of next year, of 2019. I, I think that's really when the stage is going to be set for the future of Star Wars. And Bob Iger will lay some heavy news on us in one of his shareholder conference calls. Well, a couple of other things that – well, one other thing that, that, that Bob alluded to is that uh, when he talked about the, the television series, the live-action television series, he said there are multiple series in development. So he did say – that there were, you know, he, he, he didn't specifically say The Mandalorian. We now know that that's what he was talking about in terms of the live-action series that has been long talked about. But he also alluded to others in development. So I, I actually think, Jim, that, that I don't think we are going to see or hear much about a Star Wars theatrical film release for a good while i i i think that once we get episode nine um you know once we start seeing you know maybe a teaser trailer for episode nine it's going to be full steam ahead on launching this streaming app this is where they're investing so much of their future uh and they realize i i think that outside of huge event films that streaming is definitely uh, you, you can't even really say it's the future of, of, of movies anymore because it's it's the present in a lot of ways. We're seeing this happen. We're seeing more and more uh, big named stars putting movies out exclusively on uh, platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime and uh, all of those. So I don't think that we're going to hear much about a Star Wars feature film in the theater until... I would be surprised if we heard about anything before the release of Episode Nine. I think you're 
you're damn right, man. I don't think we're going to hear anything about the next Star Wars theatrical release until the early part or even spring 2020. Yeah, I really believe that. And I'll tell you what, several series in development. I'll tell you what's in development. You got The Mandalorian launching season one of the live action series. Season two of the live action series will be Kenobi. With Ewan Mm. McGregor starring as Obi-Wan. Season three will be Rise of the Bounty Hunters. Taking all (laughs) of that Boba Fett and Bounty Hunter concept and spitting it out into a series. It's going to be the biggest television show in TV history. You just watch. And then they're going to sit back, let episode nine release, and let that settle. And then in the springtime, they're going to announce what Benioff and Weiss are going to be doing to take the Star Wars franchise into the future. And Ryan Johnson will not be actually creating another Star Wars trilogy. No. There's been a, a lot of evidence to point in that direction. And I don't see realistically where he fits into a release schedule of one film every two to three years. No, I don't think so either. Um, you know, they they might be holding. Yeah, they might on bring to him. him in for the TV series. Yep, you they know, might be doing that. Ryan has worked in television, and so uh, you know he's for crying out loud, he directed two or three episodes of Breaking Bad, uh, w- one of which uh, is considered to be one of the greatest episodes of that series, Ozymandias. The other, The Fly, considered to be one of the worst episodes of that series. Well, now, why don't you go figure Ryan Johnson doing no, something like re, that? Re, yeah, Best re, episode, re, worst episode. Well, remember, <laughs> that was, you know, he stated his goal as, a, as an artist, as a creator, as a filmmaker, is to create things that are divisive. And you have half the audience loving it, half the audience hating it. It took him two episodes of Breaking Bad to reach that goal. It took him one Star Wars movie. Pretty good. Um... All right, so... Certainly is focused. Certainly. All right, so The Mandalorian, 100% focus of uh, Kathleen Kennedy and the folks at Lucasfilm. Um, Jim, what you've, you've mentioned this before where you, you say that you think it's possible and, and maybe it's, it's some wishful thinking, but would be great if the Star Wars live-action show uh, was uh, more of an anthology-type series where you would have each season would be a different character a different you know uh a storyline and and not necessarily interrelated um and i think that would work a lot better than having multiple series release at one time which has been the marvel template yeah they launched when they started into streaming television they they launched four series simultaneously almost yeah with daredevil jessica jones luke cage and iron fist so I think, again, taking the more conservative approach with Star Wars. Because Star Wars, as far as storytelling and as far as a franchise goes, each release needs to be nurtured specifically. Otherwise, it loses its magic. Mm -hmm. It really does. And, of course, I want quality over quantity. That's the, the key thing as a Star Wars fan. I mean, give me quality and quantity together. I could take a lot, believe me. But I don't know. I like to let each addition to the franchise, to the mythology, I like each addition to be something that I can live with for a little while. 
Thus, my apathy towards Solo right now. Mm. You know, I, I've only still seen it only a handful of times. And as a matter of fact, I was scrolling through it today, concentrating on all the screams going on. Because this Wilhelm Scream investigative report is not dying. No, it is not going away. But it's a lot of work. People out in Petaluma at Rancho Obi when were asking me about it. I said, it's an open investigation. <laughs> And I, uh, you know, so I devoted some time today to uh, scrubbing through Solo. What a disappointing collection of screams going on in that film. There, there's <laughs> oh, a few really? old, oh yeah, there's a few good ones. Uh-huh. But for the most part, it's, uh, it's more grunting going on with a lot of the action sequences as opposed to a good old-fashioned scream. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of a disappointing uh, session there with solo today well and a lot of listeners have their own theories and thank you very much for yes it's emails, all being collected voicemails. yes all the evidence is being collected and taken down into the lab so uh, we should have an updated uh, return to that investigative report soon but it's it, it's not as easy as i thought it would be quite honestly and uh you know, I mean, for crying out loud, I had to watch Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull three times in the last, like, month. And so I'm kind of, like, feeling a little off. It's not as bad as a film as a lot of people want you to think it is. I think the reputation Shia LaBeouf has cultivated for himself over the past ten years has not helped <laughs> the reception of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some like weird things in it, but even like the stuff with the spaceship and all that at the end, I've I've grown. Oh, spoiler alert! Uh, I've grown to accept that a, li- a little more. I you know I think it's real kind of crazy, all the stuff that happens at the end of that film, and it does kind of move from one sequence to the next pretty flawlessly. That's Steven Spielberg for you, but uh, it's it's not so bad. You'll give it a, a revisit if you haven't watched it for a while, or if you kind of think it's a subpar addition to the Indiana Jones story. I, I think you might actually enjoy it more than you did the last time. When was the last time you saw it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, maybe two Christmases ago, uh, spinning on the, the USA Network. I think I might yeah. have seen it then. Do you... Uh, do you have any sort of uh, feelings about that movie? Well, yeah, Indy's one of those characters that, even in a bad indie film, like Temple of Doom, for example, which isn't a great movie, which, especially when you compare it to, I think, the masterpiece that is The Last Crusade, absolute masterpiece from every single scene, I think. It's just a home run in that movie. Um, it, it, it's very it pales in comparison, but that character is just in Harrison Ford as that character is so damn entertaining mm-hmm. and fun to watch that I'll even take him in a bad one. Frankly, yeah. I just love being with Indiana Jones, um, but it, it's certainly not people, one of my favorites. Yeah, I do know a lot of people consider Temple of Doom to be subpar as well. Yeah, yeah, so I, I agree. it's like that. You know, every. Uh, Every other Indiana Jones film is a good one. So when they finally get around to putting out the next one, when Harrison's like 90 years old, it should be (laughs) spectacular. But um, Temple of Doom, and also I remember when that was released, it sort of had a similar reaction. People thought it was too dark compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, as much as I do love 
the uh, Holy Grail, uh, the Last Crusade, uh, because the chemistry with Harrison and Sean Connery is just off the charts. I mean, nothing in any Indiana Jones film compares to that kind of chemistry, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of great chemistry between Harrison Ford and John Rhys Davies mm-hmm. in Raiders. Um, but Harrison Ford and, I mean, you know, Han Solo and James Bond, forget about it. <laughs> you can't beat it. But to me, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the true masterpiece, you know. That's the original. That's the one that establishes the lore and uh, something that was, when it was released, it was, you know, just unheard of to have a movie like that. And it spun off all kind of different movies. It spun off the thing with, with uh, Michael Douglas uh, yeah, yeah. Jewel of Denial, Romancing the Stone, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, that sort of, you know, even going all the way up to like a Crocodile Dundee and stuff. Yeah, like King that. Solomon's Mines. Yes, yes. Uh, or uh, National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. I, I love those movies. Those were all of that stuff, yeah. kind of, uh, even Tomb Raider, all of that owns, yeah. owes a lot to Indiana Jones specifically Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders. Yeah. Uh, love Raiders. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Lost Crusade's real good. Now, of course, the one thing that Temple of Doom does is it takes a kid character and makes him kick ass. Short Round is awesome, okay? Yeah, I yeah, love Short right. Round. Yeah. He drives yeah. a car. He's you got call those him blocks. Dr. <laughs> you call him Dr. Jones, star. You know, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> he was a real role model to me in the early 80s. Yeah. Short round. Yeah. 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 Well, so. usually when you get those kid sidekick characters, they're annoying. You know, totally when they write annoying. In. But not Shorty. No. I mean, short round looked like he earned his place. He was capable. Yeah. That's why. And it, Indy protected him mm-hmm. a great deal, but he was still capable on his own. Yeah. He, like I said, he was driving that car. He tied the boxes to his feet, and he was driving. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he would have been a great... So, he inspired so many 13-year-old suburban punk kids <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> to take their dad's car out for a spin. Oh, that's how he could reach the pedals. Huh? Yeah. But anyway, there's a piece over at Hollywood Reporter by uh, Graham McMillan talking about, you know, if, if, if you're depressed about Kathleen Kennedy's statement um, that the Boba Fett film is is 100 percent dead and they're 100 percent focusing on the Mandalorian, uh, go over to Hollywood Reporter and you can read Graham's piece because uh, they lay out the, the you know, sort of the the, the fact that this movie, whether it you know started with some of the plots and ideas for 1313, the first live-action TV series that then was abandoned by George, sits on the shelf. Uh, that became the film that they were getting together for uh, Trank. Uh, Trank's film then became this mangled film, and now uh, perhaps elements of it are in The Mandalorian, and much like Boba Fett as a character, he just can't keep a good Mandalorian down, so... They kind of lay that case out that nothing's dead, nothing's forever, nothing's written in stone, and this film could show up at some point. But uh, absolutely, listen, uh, Hollywood has like they have no surplus of ideas right now. So if somebody has anything, now is the time to pitch it. Yes, because yeah. there's no there's no original ideas coming out of Hollywood anymore. So. 
Well, hey, let's. Uh, we are talking about episode nine. Let's hit up some of these rumors. We haven't. Uh, some of these have been circulating for a while. So, in no particular order, I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw these out there. Spoiler. Uh, this, oh. Yeah, well, we should definitely. Do I mean, that. potential yeah. spoiler. Yeah, alert. potential. Alert. We don't know. Alert. So it, it should have been like spoiler alert. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, we might get lucky, you know. A broken clock is right twice a day. So why not Rebel Force Radio? All right, this is uh, Esquire. They're talking about this leaked photo. I have not seen this. I hear. I've read commentary about the leak, but apparently there is a leak of some uh, production art uh, of Kylo Ren. Here's how it here's how it's described. Kylo Ren inside his throne room. This is assumed to be the headquarters of the First Order, and he's viewing a hologram form of a device. He's hold, he's viewing a hologram form, a device in his hand, right? And it appears to be. Uh, three large super weapons, this hologram that's projecting from his hand in this device, in a cylindrical shape. So we got these big round super weapons with an enormous engine on each side of each super weapon of uh, whatever this, you know, weapon destroying thing. And so uh, the I guess the engine burner is colored red and the blast from the bottom of these three massive weapons is colored blue. Uh, impacting a surface, causing astronomical destruction. Parts of the weapon seem to be under construction and not finished. Okay. So everyone's jumping to conclusions and saying, oh, my God, this is going to be a complete retread of Empire of Return of the Jedi. We're going to have, you know, something that looks like Starkiller Base or a Death Star partially constructed. Uh, why in the world would the First Order think this is a good idea? You have two failed Death Stars and you got Starkiller Base. What's going on? Jim, this sort of dovetails into exactly what you were saying about uh, not really swimming in a surplus of ideas in Hollywood. Um, but I think this is, a li- you know, look, this is a little premature. I mean, you can go back and look at the art of Solo, the art of Episode 7, the art of Episode 8, and see all of these ideas, particularly 7. They were just throwing everything against the wall. That doesn't mean it's going to show up in the movie, right? Yeah, this is true. Sometimes it's those are called uh, your blue sky concept moments. When you just throw anything and everything out there. Sometimes these artists do so with the hopes that perhaps they'll even be able to influence the plot of the film by merely suggesting something in a piece of concept art. I know some artists tried doing this with George Lucas during the development of Revenge of the Sith. And in that sequence, when the clones get Order 66 delivered to them and... They're on the planet Utapau, and Obi-Wan is on the boga, and he's riding up on that high ledge. And Commander Cody, loyal Commander Cody, son of a... He gives the order to shoot down Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan falls into the water. Somebody had the idea, and this is in the art of Revenge of the Sith. You can find a piece of concept art that shows Obi-Wan coming up out of the water, and he's in this underground cave. This, this, you know, he's in his cave. And uh, obviously, he comes out of the water and he sees the ghostly vision of Qui-Gon Jinn and starts communicating with him. So somebody put that in a piece of concept mm-hmm. art, clearly hoping to influence George to do something like that. And George is just like, no, 
Nice try. No, nice try, guy. Hey, who put the Qui-Gon in the picture? <laughs> what are you trying to pull? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so this piece of concept art that's floating around features uh, features a, a Death Star-like super weapon. Yeah, of three course, of you them. can't. Three you of them. You, you can't find it online because so-called source goes <laughs> to the reporter and shows him a picture of something on his iPhone. Right. I'm not supposed to show this to you. So he shows it to him. And then reporter goes out on YouTube or wherever on his website and he starts yapping about it. But you can't find proof of it anywhere. Because it, it's just been getting passed along. Now, sometimes these kind of rumors actually turn out to be true, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, you don't know what you're seeing. It could be just one of those blue sky concept art moments that has nothing to do with the screenplay, the script, or what we are going to see in the finished film. Right. There's also speculation here that it sounds... Uh, these devices sound a lot like the World Devastators mm. from the uh, Dark the Empire, EU, the old EU. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, perhaps that's what this is. And, and, you know, this like you said, Jim, that a lot of times some of these um, concept designers will try to influence the, the production of the film. And, you know, if they grew up on a steady diet of this stuff, they might have thrown in the, these, you know, these World Devastators. Yeah, well, I mean, that's stuff that's available for cherry picking. Mm -hmm. It's uh, property of Star Wars and Lucasfilm and can be recycled or reimagined in any way, shape, or form. So World Devastators was an extremely popular sort of uh, device that they used in the Dark Horse comics. And then it it actually showed up in some video games. It was in the old X-Wing video game for the N64 uh, Rogue Squadron, I think, was the name of that game. Hmm. That game was awesome. Hmm. Yeah, you go up against World Devastators. It kicked ass. What was the name of the game? Which one? It was like a X-Wing Rogue Squadron or something. Oh, okay. For so the, the N64. Uh-huh. All right. Rogue that... Squadron. All right. Now, okay. now I need to know. You're you know? going to know. Why you, why you figure that out, I am going to uh, pass along. This is also Esquire. Boy, Esquire with all the scoops. Um, they were yeah, reporting... Rogue Squadron. Why do you make me second guess myself? I'm, I'm Rogue sorry. Squadron for the N64. Hardcore. All right. Okay. There you go. Rogue Squadron. You can get those world devastators there. Uh, all right. Again, Esquire, uh, they were the ones that were uh, passing around this possibility that uh, Palpatine was going to return in Episode 9 because perhaps Ray is his great granddaughter. Now, okay. the, the fans are pointing out that the naming mechanics, and we know Darth Vader, Dark Father, right? Um, there, there's, there's oftentimes some meaning in the names. Ray is Spanish for king. All right. And others have said that um, her fighting style, this is the first I've heard of this. I don't know if you've heard that. So her fighting style is similar to the emperor's. 
So the way she wields oh, a lightsaber. Oh, I've heard this. Yeah, well, there's at one point when they're facing off those Praetorian guards. Uh huh. The last year, she does sort of like that stabbing thing that you oh. see palps do in Revenge of the Sith. But she doesn't hiss like he does. Yeah, yeah he doesn't stab. <laughs> yeah. So, ooh, the old man's hissing at me. <laughs> How did Mace Windu go down to that guy? That's, I mean, that's impossible. It's just, I guess he had him beaten. Ah. Should have pulled the trigger. Come ah. on. He's the traitor. Ah! All right. He had him beat. He, yeah, he did. He did. So he just stuck that um, saber right in the guy's face. <laughs> He's putting it into it all. He's too dangerous to be kept alive. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If only Anakin felt that way. All right. So uh, more about this Palpatine thing. Um, for those that are feeling that the reveal of Ray's parentage was a uh, little uh, less than exciting in episode eight. Could a Palpatine connection fulfill uh, <laughs> that void? Um, now there's a scene um, that is apparently rumored to be between Kylo Ren and Palpatine. And that, they describe this scene. This is, of course, you know, sources, unknown sources, sources familiar with the uh, with the filming that Palpatine will play this role in episode nine. Kylo Ren with an ignited lightsaber, presumably his cross guard lightsaber cutting through a blast door on some jungle planet, entering what appears to be a vault. And eventually he's holding a square object that projects a lifelike life like projection of Palpatine. Uh, Palpatine's hand is raised in front of Kylo Ren, showing blueprints or plans that could be a new weapon. Now, Jim, here's something that's kind of interesting about this. These stories are a couple weeks apart, both from uh, Esquire. And both of these are alluding to a projection, a hologram showing plans of a new weapon. One has Palpatine showing this to Kylo Ren. Another has Kylo Ren just holding whatever this uh, hollow... Projector device is on his own. Um, I think this this actually sort of lends credence to your theory that this is just perhaps uh, concept artists throwing some ideas at J.J. Abrams here. But they they both have a common theme, which is Kylo Ren holding some sort of plans for a, a, a super weapon or super weapons we don't know yeah. um yeah well multiple pieces of art getting seen by people outside the production featuring some new super weapon hmm that indicates to me that you know they were given an assignment mm-hmm. you know more so than just throwing shit up at the wall to see what's gonna stick these guys were given an assignment so I just swore. What? And I just, I just, I just dropped the S bomb and didn't even think about it. You did? When did you? Yeah. I didn't, I just I didn't did hear it. it. Yeah, you just oh, did it. I sure did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Very numb to it. I'm numb. Very to it. professional. I got to slap myself around. Family show. Family show. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, to see multiple instances of an idea leads me to believe that they were given that assignment. So that's coming from the production. That's coming from potentially the screenplay itself. Um, or it could just be a something like, hey, let's just see how this looks before we pull the trigger on going down this road. I mean, there's so many different variables that come into play when it comes to concept art. You've just given me a good question to ask Paul Bateman next time I talk to him on Star Wars influences. And uh, I, I just want to know, like, you know, how varied can the artwork get, especially when you're considering the development of the story is happening simultaneously? The script is being prepared while some of this concept art is being knocked out at the same time. And it could just be like, does it work? Nah, now that I see it, this is a stupid idea. Let's, let's, you know, I mean, that's really how, like, I think the process goes down. Nothing's so set in stone. It, it Nothing really works... So pretty, you know, you have to go through trial and error before you get to the finished product. Right. And, you know, we, we've made so much of the fact that our our heroes from the original trilogy have come back. We've seen Han. We've seen Leia. We've seen Luke. We're about to see. Um, or was that Jake Skywalker? I can't remember. Luke or Jake. That was Luke. That was Luke. Um, and we're about to see Lando. We've seen uh, Admiral Akbar. We have seen Nine Numb. We have not seen any big reappearance by an original trilogy villain. So as we right. look to, you know, the pantheon of, of, of Star Wars characters, these legacy characters bridging the, the saga, uh, we keep looking to the roster of rebels and Jedi. We haven't been looking to mm-hmm. the, uh, the baddies. So Palpatine is out there. Jim, you said you've heard it in multiple places as a possibility that uh, he very well may be uh, showing up, perhaps as a hologram, perhaps as some sort of reincarnation. There's rumors that, oh, we're going to find out that he was connected to Snoke. Snoke was just planning to carry on Palpatine's mission. Uh, Snoke was a plan B in the event that Palpatine was would be, uh, you know, uh, taken out. And Snoke is supposed to go in there. And now it's Kylo Ren that's going to fulfill the mission. Here is uh, a piece from uh, Inverse.com. They're talking about and speculating a Darth Vader ghost appearance in Episode 9. And they go so bold as to say, hey, you know what? The Force Awakens uh, basically, I love this. This is a great headline. Uh, basically already promised us a, a Darth Vader ghost. <laughs> well, you know, basically, uh, you know, they already uh, promised us. I don't you really know promised, what that means. You promised. No, there was some, you know, discussion about a potential appearance of Darth Vader. Yes. In the force awakens. Um, but, I mean, that all basically got encapsulated by the appearance of the helmet. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's been the presence of Darth Vader in Episode 7, in that, ep- in that example. And then, of course, in Episode 8, when uh, Snoke shames Kylo Ren. And Rey shames Kylo Ren mm. for not being as strong as Darth Vader. Yeah. So, I mean, the, his presence is being felt. But, yeah, I would like to see something, some, somehow, you know, there's some breakthrough to uh, this uh, dark side manifestation of 
the presence of Darth Vader in front of Kylo Ren. And then maybe that can morph into an Anakin or something. You know, somehow, some way, we get that. I would like to see Qui-Gon Jinn in Episode Nine. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure, you know. They call me the Jedi <laughs> bookend. You know, there I am. I'm at the beginning, sure. And then I'm at the end. Yeah. I said, George, that would be a perfect way to do it. He said, you know, I don't I don't run that anymore, Lee. You should you should just I'll meet you at the pub. Yeah, yeah. stop calling me. Um well, sure. So, yes. Stop I, me. <laughs> I don't I'll do oh, it anymore. George would never say that. He, did he say that to you? Well, you know, I I've, been, I, I've been at the pub for about 12 hours waiting for him, and I'm kind of surly now, you know? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't even want to bring this up, but this whole... Well, do we have time? Let me look at the clock here. We're, we got to move on. But I, I, I do want to mention this Darth Vader castle thing, because I, I, I do think it's kind of a, no, kind of a big no, deal. No, can't talk about it this week, because I am... I am two issues you haven't read behind. It? Oh, all right. I have all right, two well, issues behind. I thought I'd be able to get caught up today. Okay. And I have issue 22 of the Marvel Darth Vader, because that's what you're talking about. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah There's yeah. also a spinoff con- uh, comic from IDW that's been running every week in October leading up to Halloween. And it's been uh, Tales from Vader's Castle. But that's more like a creepy comic. This uh, Darth Vader, the, the Star Wars Darth Vader line, uh, written by Charles Soule. It's fantastic. It's my favorite, favorite Star Wars comic right now. And uh, they're, right now, they're uh, how many uh, issues in? They are four issues in to revealing... The origin of Vader's castle on Mustafar, and there's all kind of crazy stuff going on. And I need to read these issues. I thought I'd be able to have them under my belt before tonight's show, but I'm missing issue 21. Okay, all right. Very, very disorganized. I I I thought you get these things digitally. You don't need to go out and get the floppy anymore. Well, I don't want to have to buy it twice. I think I have issue 21 somewhere in the house, but I just don't know where it is. So I don't want to have to buy it twice. I'm being cheap. And plus, I ran out of time because I was watching all this kitty crap like Star Wars Resistance and this Lego (laughs) All-Star thing. I mean, I, I watched these two things back to back, so I was dying to get into the Vader thing. So I'm like, let's get something a little more edgy here in my Star Wars consumption. And uh, I was missing an issue, and then the whole thing with the solo and the Wilhelm scream and all that. I, I listen, it's not easy being me. Okay, no, no we we all know that. Now, Edgy, you know, my God, Resistance makes Return of the Jedi look like Apocalypse Now. For all right, uh, okay, can we, uh, well, well can we're not there into... yet. We're not there yet. I'm still talking about Palpatine. Just hold on, oh, I'm, I'm still right. or not all Palpatine, right. uh, Vader uh, showing up in Episode Nine. Okay, so what's the evidence that we could see a Vader show up in Episode Nine? Well, uh, we do have Kylo Ren saying in uh, Force Awakens, uh, "Show me again." Now, that assumes that Vader showed him before. Yes. Right? Show me again. So is that evidence? Now, there's also, and boy, this is funny. I'm just seeing this. Uh, The the whole discussion we were just having about concept art. Uh, They talk about when concept art was being commissioned for The Force Awakens, an idea that J.J. Abrams had was Anakin Skywalker's ghost appearing to Kylo Ren, but then... Uh, the ghost would morph 
from being Anakin's ghost to Vader's ghost. Right. And again, another one of those things where, okay, uh, the, the, Th- that was commissioned because that was an idea. So maybe it's less about, you know, the concept artist taking matters into his own pen or pencil or her own pen or pencil. And it's the it's the the director. It's the writer just tossing out a bunch of ideas that they want to see put to uh, to canvas so that they can, you know, move along with the story or see if something looks silly, an idea that they have. But anyway, so at some point, this thing was abandoned. But you do have that line from Kylo Ren, show me again, the nature of the dark side. And I love that. So who knows? Um, we do want to talk about the Vader comic and this uh, Darth Vader castle thing. I got a few things to say about that, but we'll wait till Jimmy Mack has had a chance. To Next read week, it all. I promise. All Let's right. do a deep dive into the amazing Marvel Star Wars comics next week. I want to do a full review of everything out there. Everything. And so everything. Yeah, All but right. specifically the Vader title. All right. Yeah. Uh, the last thing we have about episode nine, and uh, this is a, this has been out for a little while, is that uh, Poe Dameron actor Oscar, Oscar Isaac uh, said that uh, episode nine is uh, looser and more improvisational yeah. than than past films. He Good. says the way we've been uh, shooting it now is it's looser than it's been for the past two times. Uh, it does feel like a relief to get on set and feel like, oh, we can try things. It's a testament to J.J. coming back and feeling confident. There's less pressure for it to be right. We just want to make a good movie and have a really good time while doing it. He adds that the movie is uh, one that's natural to the material. It doesn't reflect poorly on it. He says, often you do feel like you've got to find your way to make something more alive. But this time, it's been the opposite. There's no need to smuggle anything in there. Very praising of J.J. And it does make you wonder, Jim, is this, is this Oscar Isaac saying, oh, thank God we got rid of that Ryan Johnson guy? I don't know. I, I'm not saying that it is. Um, but he's saying, or is this just the fact that, hey, they've already done it two times, third time's the charm, they know the characters, they know the environment, they know what it's like to make a Star Wars film, they've been through it two times before, and that's creating that sort of uh, looseness on the set. Yeah, I don't think Oscar Isaac is blasting Ryan Johnson in any way, shape, or form, but I do think he notices a difference in having a director return the same guy who introduced Oscar to the character of Poe Dameron is going to work with Oscar again to conclude that that character story. And so I think there is probably more of a looseness there. The characters are better established. Uh, and, and it is a testimony to having JJ return. It makes you sort of mourn the fact that they couldn't have locked in Abrams for all three films. And they could have done that if they had three years between each release, traditional star Wars release schedule per trilogy. And, uh, I think they would have been able to keep JJ on board for that. And, uh, I think that having a director return, who's worked with these actors and this crew before the director's more comfortable and more knowledgeable about 
all of the things that make those characters tick. So more willing to just give in to the chemistry of the set and ride those waves. Of course, improvising Star Wars scripts has proved great moments, has, has resulted in great moments in the past. The whole, I love you, I know, improvised. So taking that into account, I think that it's important to note that we'll probably be getting some solid chemistry among these characters throughout this film, just based on that, just based on that knowledge alone, that they're willing to actually let real chemistry take over on the set from time to time. I think that's a good thing. I see a lot of these actors in these characters, you know, from when I see Daisy Ridley doing interviews and stuff. I, there's, there's certain qualities of her personality that shine through Ray. And so the line gets a little blurred. So why not let these actors allow the dialogue to breathe a little more on the set? I think that's a great thing. I think we'll, we'll get some more natural moments on screen in the final film. Get full access to RFR only on Patreon. This is Eric from Maryland saying I love Rebel Force Radio. Being a Patreon member is one of the best things you could ever do. All the extra bonus content, rush hour, the Q&As, and getting early releases on a lot of shows make it worth the while. Join the dark side. Join now. I appreciate all the hard work and dedication you put into the show week in and week out. And at the same time, it lets me feel like I'm a part of the show and I've been following you guys for going on 10 years now and you've kept Star Wars alive for me personally more than anything else even before the Disney acquisition and the new movies came along. So as long as you guys are around, I'll be a supporter on Patreon and keep up the good work and may the force be with you. Hello, Rebel Force Radio community members. This is Matthew Rooney speaking to you from Northern Florida. I have been an RFR listener since summer 2008 and a consistent Patreon supporter since November 2016. I have had the privilege of hosting RFR Q&A, one of the exclusive programs available to Patreon patrons, two times. And as a Patreon supporter, I am able to go even further behind the scenes. I get to sit with the guys as they have weekly conversations about the main show, as well as other topics of interest. I get access to rare and high-quality audio recordings of key events in Star Wars history, unavailable anywhere else. And best of all, I get the opportunity to co-host a show with Jimmy Mack and discuss the things that are important to me as a listener. RFR should belong to us, so we all need to chip in and make sure that Jason and Jimmy get all the support they need to keep the show running at the highest quality possible. Patreon is very easy to use, and even $1 from every listener each month would make a huge difference. Say it loud and say it proud, and may the force be with you, always. Don't wait. Visit Patreon today to get all access to RFR. Patreon.com slash Rebel Force Radio. This is Star Wars Resistance Declassified. All right. Catching up a little bit with Star Wars Resistance. Season 1, Episode 5, The High Tower. Can't believe we're already Episode 5. Seems like we just got started. And this was originally aired uh, on October 28th, 2018. And it deals with the First Order arriving at the platform for reasons unknown. As Kaz and BB-8 are determined to sneak into the tower to find out what they want. So, Jim, this is the first time that we really see the First Order 
working what you know, doing what the first order does at this time in the in the saga right there in um in in front of Kaz and in front of us as we see them kind of uh you know they're kind of like the mob they're kind of shaking uh, shaking people down a little yeah. bit for protection money. I mean, you're from Chicago. You're familiar with all this. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what you do. Uh, I make weekly payments for the first order. Believe me, man. <laughs> I know I know what to do. Yeah, they're um, like, you know, windows get broken. That's all I'm saying. You know, it happens. Uh, hey. when, uh, people fall downstairs. You know, accidents all the time. Well, so, yeah, obviously. <laughs> all right, so there's these pirates attacking the Colossus on a regular basis. And... These pirates are being secretly funded by the First Order and Phasma specifically. And uh, so uh, remember last week I was trying to dissect a piece of dialogue at the end of the show when one of those pirates said the Phasma, in no time Doza will be asking to take over the Colossus. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And I heard from other people who were like, yeah, we felt the same way. But somebody um, somebody uh, looked, I think it was uh, one of our supporters on Patreon. So if that's the case, I want to give him full credit. Um, he watched with the subtitles. And uh, I mean, I should have paid closer attention to this. But what the pirate was saying was uh, Doza will be asking you phasma to take over the platform it was just something got lost in the mix for me hmm. the couple you know I, I watched the episode twice and uh maybe i just didn't have the volume turned up loud enough uh you know like maybe my old lady was like crashed out next to me and something i didn't want to wake her up you know <laughs> well so doza is uh one of one of the elites there and that was something else I was confused about too, because of yeah. course Tora Doza is the Swedish sugarcane ace pilot who is apparently Captain Doza's daughter. Captain Doza lives up in the high tower and calls all the shots for the Colossus. And they don't have any electricity problems up there in the tower. Well, no, now that's the thing that confused me because at the very beginning of the episode, the entire Colossus loses power and goes completely dark, except for the high tower. And it shows Kaz clumsily falling down on top of Niku and Bucket. And uh, I, I was thinking to myself that Kaz was responsible for tripping over something to shut down the power. On the Colossus. But no, it was actually because they are they're rationing power. They're rationing mm. their fuel supply. So they need everyone to, uh, it's to like, save power. It's like living in California. Yeah, they got the but why, should a ref- and brown why would a refueling station need to, to save its reserves? Well, obviously, because what's happening here, and this is what I figured out. I don't think this came out in the episode itself, but there was some stunning animation as the ace pilots brought in the First Order contingency onto the Colossus, and the First Order arrived in a tanker, a fuel tanker. So, obviously, they're taking... You know, they're, they're wetting their beak, just like the old mafiosos used to in uh, in Little Italy, in New York. You know, they would come over and they would wet their beak and make you pay them for protection. 
These yeah. guys are thugs. Protection you know? against the, themselves. Right. The <laughs> First Order is essentially operating like the American Mafia did in the 1920s and 30s. I mean, it's ridiculous. So they're stealing. They're taking, you know, they're stealing from the neighborhood and making the neighborhood pay them to protect them against the, you know, the pirates, which the First Order is actually funding. It's it's just. Well, they're manipulating both sides. They kind of learned this uh, from Palpatine. Where you're you're controlling both sides. You're controlling the, uh, you know, in this case, the the, the pirates that are ransacking the station, and then, you know, then you're 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 also responsible for keeping the people safe. So you can call them off, or you can turn the you know the dials up on the violence and the terrorism and all of that. So I mean, it's yeah, it is it is right out of. Uh, you know, the way the American mob uh, worked, particularly back in the 30s and 40s in Chicago. Um, with, good, and I don't Jason, mean to be good. picking on Chicago, but... No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Enough people do that. Yeah. But um, good, Jason. I, I So far, so good. I'm, I'm pretty proud of you right now. What are you talking about? Well, I thought it was going to be a, you know, we'd be sailing on some rough waters here, judging from some of the texts you were sending me prior to the show. Oh, well, the show's boring. <laughs> Okay, no, hold on. Slow down. Slow down. Jason received in the mail today some uh, remastered Blu-rays of the classic Batman animated series. So he's watching that stuff, you know, that great animated series. And then I said, hey, you got to watch Resistance because we really need to stay on top of this this week, you know. And so then Jason is starting to watch that after he was watching the Batman animated series from the 90s. And so he started firing off some some texts to me that indicated that perhaps we would have a difficult time talking about Resistance tonight. <laughs> because I said to Jason, hey, going from the Batman animated series into Star Wars Resistance... And please, nobody take any offense to this. But I, I said, it, that's like going from top shelf scotch, black label stuff, baby, <laughs> down to like apple juice out of a box. <laughs> out, of, out of a baby bottle. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I mean, look, I, I really, I'll tell you, I mean, the, the, I seem to be kind of on the, on, the, on the other side of this because you got a lot of people that are really loving the story. Um, but hating on the animation, where I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I'm not loving the story, but I'm loving the animation. Yeah, I'm more really on board with it. you. Yeah, I'm more on board with you. The story is secondary to me um, compared to like the visual stuff, and also the characters are having there. There's some development going on there. I, I sense a little bit of chemistry with some of the characters, but it doesn't do anything too deep. It takes no deep dives into anything. Now, I, 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 you know, of course, the series is just getting started, so a lot of things are being uh, uh, laid. You know, a lot of foundations being laid down. But hey, listen, everyone, we're we're gonna sit here and we are gonna analyze this sucker like hardcore Star Wars fans because that's what we are. But we also know this is kind of like fluffy kid stuff, and uh, we really need to uh, be won over by this show by some like uh, heavier mythological moments that really add to the Star Wars mythology as opposed to portraying the, you know, the First Order like uh, cheap mafiosos from the 30s and uh, having characters that are very well, slapsticky in nature. I- I'll tell you, I, I, one, one thing that was a little bit of a struggle, this was the first time I watched an episode with one of my kids, and I watched uh, this episode with my daughter, Bailey, 
And so it, the, the episode starts up and she's like, oh, is this the new show? I'm like, yeah, now my daughter's 10. And I say, yeah, this is the new show. And uh, she's like, oh, all BB-8. Because she saw BB-8. She lit up. I know who BB-8 is. And so she's like, who's this? Who's that? Who's this? Who's that? And as we were talking, I found my... I was like, well, you know, this takes place, you know, right before The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. It was just a little tough. Granted, you know, again, she's she's 10. But it was a little tough for her to kind of grasp. You know, as a, as a kid, you think that, oh, it's new Star Wars, so it means that it takes place after the last thing I just watched. So... I, I find that to be a little bit of a challenge. She she loved it, and in particular, she thought that, um, and her name is escaping me, the uh, the mechanic that uh, Kaz works Tam. a lot with. Tam. Uh, Tam. 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 Tam Rivora. Uh, yeah, yeah, she really liked her. She liked uh, sassy Tam. Um, she liked her uh, British accent. Um, but we were going back and forth. Was it Austra- Is it Australian or is it British? I think I I, I think it's British. Um, but yeah, but she was digging her. Um, she was liking it. But the whole idea of it being, you know, you know, where it takes place in the Star Wars saga, she didn't really care, and she didn't really seem to kind of kind of get it. Um, I'll tell you, I perk up every time I see BB-8 on the screen. I really like that. Um, I like how rich. Uh, the, the universe is it seems to be being populated uh, in the bar um, and uh, and elsewhere. All the you know the different droids that are you know familiar yet unfamiliar. Um, this episode there were a number of different droids that we got to see uh, in the tower, and you know certainly finding out a little bit more about the first order. I mean, what 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 can we assume? I mean, imagine uh, Jim. Although I guess you can again picking on Chicago if uh, organized crime was able to infiltrate government, um, and so you, <laughs> well, let me say it is like Chicago. But I mean, you've got this, you've got this um, quasi uh, terrorist kind of gangster thuggish, uh, though very polished uh, group that eventually, um, as we can assume, sort of becomes the the prime primal force of 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 government uh, in the galaxy so that's very interesting you know this isn't necessarily a this is really a faction it's 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 not necessarily something that is springing out from the new republic you know in and of itself it's not like you have defectors right um you know, from the new Republic that are, they're just kind of putting a new face on something old. This is, this is hostile takeover. And we're seeing in this episode kind of how this worked. We can assume that this is happening. If it's happening on, um, on the platform here, uh, that it's happening in other systems and, and other parts of the galaxy as well. The shakedown that's going on. Right, right. The shakedown. And and so what's so important about the Colossus? I guess eventually we'll learn about its uh, strategic location in the galaxy or its connection to something that the First Order wants to exploit as they invade the known galaxy, right? So these are the things that I look at this show for, an expansion mm-hmm. of the... Uh, historical nature of the mythology what was going on in the galaxy leading up to the force awakens because here 
we are almost three years after the release of The Force Awakens, and I'm still very puzzled as to what and where these threats originated from. Now, Jim, did you get any any indication in these when when you had the First Order and Captain Doza talking in that uh, in Doza's office, and you know he brings up. He, you know, he he says, "Well, you know, what would the New Republic think of your practices?" And and I think the uh, who's the uh, who's the red guy? I don't know any of these names anymore. Right now, I got to be honest; Wait, I, the, oh, the it's not guy. sticking. Yeah, it's, he's it's, red it's not guy. sticking. Yeah, red guy. He's first order crimson pilot, red guy. Okay. I think his name's Von Reg. Von Reg. Von Reg. Von Reg. Von. Okay. I think I ordered one of those once. Right. Can I have a Von Reg? Oh, okay. Listen, With great let me goose, ask please. you this question, um, and then I'll let you get back to your thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Auntie Z's bar, mm-hmm. are these are these guys drinking booze or what? You know, I mean, are, are they getting all lit up like Niku and stuff? Because Niku orders something called the Cerulean Sour Paste, and no one would order that unless it was going to get you a little messed up. Man, I don't know. I, I, I Niku, I think, is there, or, you know, that's like the... Star Wars equivalent of the Shirley Temple. I don't. I don't see Niku uh, doing the hard stuff. Hmm. Do you? Well, that would explain a lot of his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, right. his complete uh, naivete. Yeah, and uh, which actually yeah. I find kind of endearing. It's I, not I, I bad. Like, it's all right. I yeah. do like the characters. I like the characters on this show. He. I mean, at least he's really got a lot of personality. Um. Kaz is a little bland to me, if not kind of, you know, the clumsiness thing and all that. He he really is just so inept. But then every once in a while, Hal, he'll have these little moments of of sharpness or or, or shrewdness. But you know, I, I'm you know, maybe this is just one of those classic Star Wars character arcs where we're going to see him really grow. And so, you know, like Ahsoka, you know, we had to kind of endure the Sky Guy, R two E stuff so that you know the woman that she grew up into was a lot more uh, meaningful but there was a lot more meat on those bones than there is i think on on Kaz. but what what i wanted to ask you about is in that meeting when they, when they talk about um you know what would the what would the new republic say blah 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 what do you think or is there anything that gives us any indication of what the dissatisfaction there might be from a guy like Captain Doza with the with the New Republic. He doesn't seem to be all that, mm. and he's not a big cheerleader for you know this uh, this government that came in and you know saved the galaxy from all of this you know the tyranny of the Empire. Seems like he does a lot of things that uh, you know happen in back rooms and underneath tables, and mm. stuff like that, and he wouldn't like any sort of big government sniffing around in his business. That's the opinion I get of Captain Doza. They do mention that he was evading something. They they in that that right. sit down they have with him. What was that they said that he was uh they 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 used something as a as a tactic to uh, intimidate him. They said, "Well, we'll re- reveal this information about you." Yeah, yeah, cuz he was he was threatening to go to the the new Republic about this, uh, you know, the, these threats that they were making and they, and they like, well, we've got dirt on you too. So, and I'm trying, I can't recall exactly what that was. They have dirt on him. 
Yeah. Regardless, I mean, right. you know, it it doesn't matter what it is. They have some sort of dirt on him. He's he's been, uh, you know, uh, maybe he hasn't been paying his taxes or something. I don't. Yeah. Know. <laughs> well, they got it's something always taxes. On him. It's always like taxes I said, he's 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 accustomed to a life where. You know, they they have a very small area. It's like the you know the small town sheriff. Yeah, and uh, you know, so he kind of sometimes interprets the law in his own way, and and that's what that's the sense I get from this guy, uh, uh, Captain Doza. Yeah, you know, he's the small town sheriff, and now here comes, uh, you know, these uh, these raiders are coming in and they're threatening him and. Uh, th- there's all kind of stuff going on there. So, well, and it, by the end, you you know, Doza is aware that there's something a little off about Kaz. You know, what 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 was he doing snooping around? He he really is the world's worst spy. I mean, this guy is like Inspector Gadget Maxwell Smart proportions, uh, just just bumbling his way through it. He even had a, a a whole audience there in Auntie Z's bar as they're watching him hang. Uh, yeah. Suspended, you know. So it, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it play. They were playing it for comedy, but at the same time, he's got a he's got a very serious mission here from Poe. Um, <laughs> and uh, we did get a comment. I wanted to share this. This was uh, via Facebook. Let me uh, pull this up here because it was a it was in response to our resistance segment last week. Uh, just give me one more. Da, 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 da. Rebel Force Radio, that's us. Something I want to do point out is that uh, at the very beginning of the episode, Kaz trips over Bucket when the lights go off. And Tam reacts to Bucket like he's a poor puppy. Oh, what'd you do to Bucket? And that's the first time we got any sort of indication as to what Bucket is like or all about because he's mostly been uh, a non-entity in this series thus far. And you'd think that sooner or later he's going to adapt that main droid role in this story because BB-8's time on the Colossus is obviously limited. And so... Oh, you think so? Yes. Uh, I think Poe is going to come back and check in on Kaz, and Kaz is going to reveal to Poe what he's learned about uh, Doza's dealings with the First Order and everything, and then uh, I think he'll leave Kaz on his own for a little while without BB-8 because BB-8 has been bailing out Kaz left and right. Sooner or later, as Kaz proceeds on his hero's journey, I, I'm not sure the, the Star Wars Resistance is exactly what Campbell had in mind when he <laughs> penned Hero of a Thousand Faces, but uh, you know, is Kaz, Kaz does need to be on his own at some point. Yeah. BB-8 has been like a guardian angel to him, and I assume Poe is going to come back and and get BB-8. We've heard actually that Star Wars Resistance will be continuing throughout the events of the the force awakens and potentially beyond hmm. Hmm. so you're going to get a different perspective on episode 8 and everything that went down in that movie uh, as that news is uh oh boy that was uh, consumed by the colossus guys so we've been hoping for something like that we thought that maybe the clone wars would take us right through the events of uh, episode 3 yeah. Um we we also thought that perhaps Rebels would take us through the events of uh, Rogue One. Right. Um so this is great. If this is true and we actually get to see 
sort of what's happening on the other side of the camera during you know, a, a proper Star Wars film, that would be great. J.R. Eaton over on our Facebook page, he's uh, just throwing some uh, things out to us. He said, yes, talking about resistance, Kaz flew for the New Republic Navy, uh, not the resistance. I think I misspoke and said that, but uh, no, this is the New Republic Navy. He goes, also don't forget Mon Mothma demilitarized the New Republic roughly 25 years prior, so this Navy would have seen little action and wouldn't be very disciplined. So, right. okay, that makes sense to me. That uh, comes from the Bloodline novel uh, that came out a couple years ago. Oh, the demilitarization of the New Republic right. and all that? Okay. Right, right. Uh, he also reminds us that the resistance is mostly seen by the Senate as a paranoid and war as paranoid and warmongers, so only a few support them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that- they certainly felt Leia was that way, and she became an outcast. Right, after, you know almost single-handedly saving the the whole galaxy. Um, And he's also throwing down that maybe uh, Poe actually sent BB-8 to be the spy. Right. And that, uh, you know, Kaz is is his cover for being there. So maybe maybe that's really what's going on. Because you do, you know, BB-8, when they flash to him, he does seem to be kind of always in the middle of something. But uh, going back to my Inspector Gadget reference, it would seem that uh, BB-8 is the brain role. Um, and you've got uh, Gadget running around, but Brain, uh, the dog, is uh, solving all of the mysteries. Mm, Just need Penny yes. in there and see what happens. The biggest difference that I can note about Bucket, going back to him, yeah. is, uh, is that just how Tam reacts to Bucket. It, he's, he's more like beloved. Than Chopper ever was like, like, uh, like I said, Tam reacted to Bucket like he was a poor puppy, whereas Ch- Chopper was more like a mean old cat, you know. Yeah, mean, mean old one-eyed cat, you know. So uh, I should say that I still too. think he's a Chopper ripoff. I, 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 I guess if they're ripping themselves off, well, they've barely even had any screen time for Bucket, so we shall see. But I think. Uh, he, there's more of uh, like they treat him like a a little puppy, you know. He's mm. he's more beloved than Chopper was. Chopper, they kick around and you know he'd be a big pain in the butt. Good day, Jason and Jimmy. Ryan from the Gold Coast in Australia here. Um, now regarding Star Wars Resistance, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's going to overlap with Episode Seven, and what I want to know is, will we see? Kaz go through grief upon the destruction of his his family and his friends and everyone he knows in the New Republic. Because if we are, that doesn't sound too kid-friendly to me. So I just wanted to know your thoughts. Will this show take a dark, more serious turn? Or will it stay light and happy? Maybe his family gets off-world or something. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Just want to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. I think we'll hear something like, Mm. My dad's such a jerk, <laughs> and that'll be uh, it. I, I think that, that that might be as much grief as we get. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. You know what? Look, uh, Rebels got increasingly more um, sophisticated. So did obviously Clone Wars. Did uh, I hate to use the word dark? I don't necessarily want darkness in my Star Wars per se. I mean, if you call. Empire Strikes Back, dark, maybe, fine, you know. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm reluctant to say 
Well, you know, I want Star Wars to to cater to me, you know, 41-year-old guy and 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 not be thinking about the 8-year-old girl or the 10-year-old boy or whatever. Um I don't want it to be too grown up, don't get me wrong, but um I I think one of the beauties of Star Wars uh is that it has the ability to tell these um very very simple stories that, you know, can unfold in all of these really exciting ways and you can read a lot into um this this feels of you know very literal you know uh without there being any any force or jedi you're kind of losing some of that mysticism and uh, you know i I would i wouldn't be looking to the show for for anything you know real uh real heavy we'll put it that way so grief or no grief well here's what i speculate and uh, i talked about this last week and it creates a loophole for this situation, this exact situation uh, where uh, Brian from Brisbane was talking about is I believe that Kaz's father is the one who made the arrangement for Poe to put Kaz on this mission because the father has secretly been working and funding the resistance, working for and funding the resistance And so his father will have the intel and he'll be smart enough to be out of the Hassian prime system when Starkiller base eventually strikes. Then Kaz will not know. He may be shocked and think, oh, my father. Yeah, I sounded like him a little bit there. Mm. Have you noticed that Kaz has like sometimes he has like curly from the three stooges moments listen very closely i'm not kidding you listen very closely to that sequence where he's jumping from ledge to ledge avoiding the stormtroopers and by the way it was great to see stormtroopers and them in action in this episode they went from shooting stun bolts at kaz to trying to kill him then you know you saw the 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 kill Lasers coming out there when he was jumping along those platforms on the uh, outside of the building. Right. I, like, I remember he's, he's going. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. He was, he was like that. I mean, it's, it's like really off the charts, crazy sounds. I, I, I should isolate that. I'll, I'll isolate some highlights. And I did promise to do the uh, Auntie Z Mrs. Doubtfire voice comparison this week. That'll come next week too. Don't I have not forgotten. I, I've just been you know I've been bogged down with all this Wilhelm scream business, but um, yeah, really cartoony sounding when he's running yeah. around out there on the thing and and acting like Super Mario as he's jumping from platform bump, to platform. Bump 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 bump. All right, I got a couple bump, of quick bump, notes. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> I'm going to go through real quick, quick notes. Let's see if any of this stuff is worth anything. Oh, Tam says, yes, I can. When Kaz says, can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? So Tam says, yes, I can. She can only imagine, though. She's She reveals, because I thought, oh, man, maybe she's uh, she's been, like, banned or something. But, you know, she says later in the thing that um, hype phase on definitely uh, – outclassed her as far as uh, becoming ace pilot. She just wasn't good enough. That's what I think. I'm trying to put all these character moments together. thought it was weird a TIE fighter window was hanging on the wall in Auntie Z's bar. Uh, it, was just, it was just there. It looked good. 
I'd love to see it in Rancho Obi-Wan, quite honestly, but uh, <laughs> it was just this, you know, random TIE fighter window. It, it was kind of cool. She's got all kind of stuff on the walls there. She has uh, the wing to another ship. It, it's uh, it's all revealed. I think on StarWars.com they have some some episode guides that you can look at for other information. Um uh, I thought it was a good-looking episode. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that sequence with the ace pilots escorting the First Order to the fuel tanker. It was kind of, you know, there's no action or anything. It was just some really beautiful animation. And uh, somebody pointed out to me uh, just earlier today that if you look closely enough, you'll notice uh, there's even, like, moisture on the windshields of the ship. Uh, yeah, Chris Lippard, he sent me an email earlier today and he says when the aces are flying escort for the freighter take a look at their cockpit windscreens you can see little droplets of water forming and streaming back from the clouds they're flying through that's incredible attention to detail so uh you know i mean we can write this thing off as being uh, sort of simplistic looking but if you look closely you'll see there's some incredible detail that just add to the entire richness of of watching this stuff. And, so, you know, a lot of times people will say, like, oh, we didn't learn anything new in that episode, or that didn't move the plot forward. Is up. Sometimes Star Wars is purely a visual thing. And you sit back and you go, look how kick-ass that looks. So I, I recommend everybody doing that every once in a while because that's an important part of Star Wars. Uh, we finally see Hype Phazon in this episode. He's weird rod- rodian. Here's what I wrote. Weird Rodian with facial hair. A first question mark. Have we ever seen any Greedos with facial hair? No, I don't think I didn't think that lizards could grow hair. I know this guy had sideburns and a chin beard. Yeah. Yeah. He looked like something out of the WWE. But uh or or some um some biker bars that I might uh, venture to this weekend. <laughs> uh, speaking of bikers bars, uh, Ace's Lounge <laughs> in the High Tower was nothing like a biker bar. It was pretty, like, plain and stark. Somebody said it looked like Cloud City in there. Um, but uh, obviously luxurious. And just noting some of the uh, extras that were hanging out up there, you had a blonde girl with the uh, Princess Leia hair, with the the, the space puffs. From, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and she's blonde, which I thought was a cool touch, you know. So I don't think we've ever really seen that hairstyle replicated so exactly before in a Star Wars show. Maybe they snuck one in in Rebels or Clone Wars, but I don't remember anyone, especially a blonde, having those uh, cinnamon buns. And uh, there was a Plo Koon pilot sitting there. He was uh, he, specifically his alien species is Keldor, but uh, I thought it was kind of interesting to see that species, the same species of Plo Koon, being uh, realized in the Star Wars Resistance world. Uh, let's see, what do I have written here? Uh, just a bunch of yada, yada, yadas, and uh, we already talked about that. But we didn't talk about Tora Doza's room, her bedroom. We got to go in there, and obviously they're setting up eventual romantic interest for Kaz with Tora. She covers for him. She doesn't have to cover for him. It seems like there's a natural chemistry between the two of them. But if you look at her wall art, uh, she she has something up there that looks like uh, Sabine Wren Graffiti. So I guess Sabine went on to actually, you know, um, have like uh, gallery showings and uh, 
She was like the new Banksy, right, of Star Wars. Uh, I guess. But other, uh, listen to this crap she had in her bedroom. First Order Stormtrooper 12-inch action figure. Uh, a Bosch action figure. Bosch. So specific. A Max Rebo stuffed animal. A Skyhopper model, just like the one Luke was playing with in A New Hope. She had a weird-looking stuffed creature, which I later found out was something called a Kenton Strider. It's a creature from the hollow chessboard. And she had, like, a stuffed thing on her. She had a pod race poster, a Bantha doll, and a stuffed Ewok. So it's like uh, she's giving Rancho Obi-Wan a run for its money. How do you feel? I, I think this is something that's kind of uh, inspired a little controversy online. People talking about seeing merchandise, Star Wars merchandise, like being realized in the canonical galaxy. Uh, the the closest thing we've come to that is, of course, Jen Urso had some toys in uh, in uh, Rogue One. Yeah, but that was uh, you know that looked like kind of homemade stuff and yeah, right. It you did, know, it did. Th- yes, much more organic. This is uh, Ray had a homemade X wing pilot. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, I, I mean, Boosh. I mean, <laughs> come on. Come on. She had the boosh. How are we supposed to take this? How are we supposed to take this seriously? Well, they have Amazon in. uh, They deliver to the Colossus. You can get the. What are you saying? You know, I don't think it's uh, uncommon for uh, anyone to have a uh, a Bantha doll. Listen, there's been there's been precedents for this. Okay. Look at the Star Wars holiday special from 1978 when the Imperial Troopers raid Chewie's apartment on Kashyyyk. They go into Lumpy's bedroom and they behead his Bantha doll. Well, having a... Wait a minute. Hold on. Slow down. Slow down. I'm going to get emotional here. (laughs) Lumpy returns to his room to see the ransacking that has taken effect. And... He takes the Bantha doll, the beheaded Bantha doll, puts the body underneath the covers in his bed, places the head on top of it, and kisses the Bantha doll. I am getting choked up just remembering that moment. All right. I've had it. (laughs) That's it! That's it! That's it! During the emotion... Yeah. When you start pulling out holiday special as a way to justify something like this. Jeez. I got news for you, pal. We're going to do a holiday special commentary with Billy Mac. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. To celebrate the 40th anniversary. After 13 episodes of Resistance, I'll probably be ready for it. <laughs> well, it's it's going to be happening sooner than that. Uh, all right. Well, oh, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, as always. And uh, once again, invite you to support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. And we're sure that you do. Uh, please support the show. That's patreon.com slash Rebel Force Radio, you'll never miss an episode of our bonus content like Rush Hour Rewind and the Q&A show. Uh, we'd love to have your feedback, and there's two great ways to do that. Remember, Twitter's not one of them. 
Show at RebelForceRadio.com. That's the email address. Show at RebelForceRadio.com. And the voicemail line, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. You can also find us on Facebook. Search for us over there. And uh, RebelForceRadio.com, of course, the official website. We've got merch over there. We've got the holiday season approaching. Please, another way to support the show is to spread the word. And what better way to spread the word than with a Rebel Force Radio t-shirt, a mug, all kinds of merch over there. Just go to shop at the website. Uh, iTunes. It's a great place to subscribe to Rebel Force Radio, the podcast, and review the show. We love to have those reviews. Please, just one rule. Make them good. And you can find Rebel Force Radio streaming at WGNplus.com. We're also on YouTube. You can search for us there. iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, just about anywhere you can find podcasts. We are everywhere. And we'll be back with you once more next week here on Rebel Force Radio. For RFR, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. George Lucas a good deal!